<laughs> Are you ready? Oh man, this is ca- this is a canned old fashioned. <laughs> <laughs> well, bottled. It's a bottled old fashioned. That's an old fashioned. I expected it to be a lot sweeter. I did too. I was like, man, this is gonna be so full of sugars. It does have been in a bottle aftertaste. Yes, it's not. Yeah, I mean, the bottle says it's just bourbon and orange bitters. And like we could garnish it however we want, but we're not doing that. We're serving it over ice is what we're doing. Yep. It tastes like an old fashioned you'd get like at Applebee's. Yeah. <laughs> hey everyone and welcome to What's Up With Money, an ongoing conversation to help make sense of today's financial confusion. I'm Ryan, a writer and millennial who's asking the questions. I'm Ronald, philosopher and financial advisor who's given the answers. From outdated 1980s financial advice to magic social media strategies, we aim to shine a light on what's really helpful, lessen financial anxiety, and better understand money. Thanks for joining our conversation as we ask, what's What's up up with with money? money? And we're gonna do, we're gonna discuss this episode in three parts. This is a three-part series, and in the third part, we're breaking it up into three parts on its own. Seems to make sense. Part number one, you can buy different types of money. Yes. Now, there's the dollar, there's the yen, there's the euro, there's the pound. Those are different types of currency. Okay. What do you mean, then, by (laughs) different types of money? So... Not all money works the same. Not all dollars spend the same. And this is one of the things that's really important to help people understand is that you can use your actual dollars to buy something that will pay you more dollars for certain purposes. You need to elaborate. I know. So, <laughs> let's use health insurance, for example. Sure. Health insurance is you using your dollars to buy a health insurance policy that will actually buy you more Money. medical dollars. Yeah. Okay. Because if you have a medical thing, you're going to get more dollars paid than you would have done on your own. So it's an exchange. Okay. It's an exchange of your dollars for more dollars for, for a certain purpose. The and same that, is true of car insurance. Sure. Well, the, okay. I see what you're saying. I see what so you're saying. So yeah. it's an exchange rate. Yeah. So you're exchanging your dollar for something that will pay you $3 or $4 for something specific. Okay. And so in that sense, it's a great exchange rate. Right. Because you're, you're giving a little bit of money yes. or a potential lump sum like a a larger sum of money if should you need it yeah yeah and most of the exchange rate so you do it like with the stock market you exchange your money for a certificate that you hope grows in value right and so the hope there is that then that thing if you need to turn it into something and use it for exchange for something else Mm -hmm. that it has grown yeah and that you can exchange it then for more things i think that's i just want to pause about because i don't think nowadays people think about when you buy stocks you now own a certificate that says you own this stock which i feel like if that was still happening there would be a better understanding of what stocks really is or, or what stocks really are but i just find that interesting that because w- so many people buy it in stocks and it happens so fast that you yeah. don't think about Okay, here's, here is a certificate saying that you now own this physical thing, which is a stock. Yeah, and there is a book of record 
that shows every stock that you own. Like it, it's kept track of where right. every share is. Okay. Uh, and and have ever owned like it's like this is what Ryan has ever owned. In, yeah, in it's the more stocks. like where like who owns stock certificate eight hundred and ninety seven out of. Oh, got it. So and that's mine. Hey, that's yours. Yeah. yeah. So what happens is they used to be physical certificates. I'm sh- yeah, I'm sure they were that either you exchanged with the buyer or you had a broker hold them. This is sort of how sort of the system has morphed and grown. And one of the things that people don't understand with some of with some of it is that you needed a place to store it almost like a bank or, and you needed a place to exchange the certificate mm-hmm. and you needed a, someone that would connect buyers and sellers. Hence the stock exchange. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's all old school paper trading, <laughs> like literally <laughs> like exchanging. Yeah. So now it's more sophisticated because you can do it on your phone. Right. But the the principles are all still the same in that you have to have a buyer, right on the other end. So we talked about that before, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but okay, so but yeah, uh, that's the idea of not all dollars buy the same thing, right? And so when you start expanding your thinking, because people love cash, they love having it, they can see like one to one exchange, and it's like okay, one to one exchange is zero (laughs) right one to two is good one to three is better one to four is even better than that right and so helping people understand that it's not actually dollars in your account that do anything it's what you can exchange them for and how and then what ways you can use your money to buy more money than you currently have that's one of the wild great things about our system here is that you can use those dollars to buy more dollars. It is wild. It is wild because most, most people I feel when it comes to the stock market, they do so as we discussed, they do so through their retirement plans of their 401k, their IRA, their Roth, what have you. And so that is them buying a certain type of dollar, right? They're buying something that's in the stock market. Yep. I think that's the one that people are the most familiar with. Uh, People don't realize that they're doing this every single day. Car insurance, your health insurance, your life insurance, your exchange of, like when you buy a car, that's where you're determining to put, to store your money. Well, that's wild because then you're, it's more like you're giving a dollar for 50 cents back when it comes to a car. In some cases, yeah, yeah. Well, because a car, it, it, it does nothing but depreciate. Exactly. Yeah. So there's no the negative exchange. Rate. A car, yeah, it is. A car is not an. The car is only an investment in terms of where it can get you. Literally. Yep. Uh, it's not an investment in terms of value. You, you're not. No one's going to be trading in their 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 2004 Corolla for more than they bought it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Unless you hold it for 70 years. 70 years maybe and becomes what a classic a classic (laughs) a A 2004 corolla is going to be a classic vintage car oh yeah you watch (laughs) you watch you'll regret selling yours so so what so okay so we have the market that's one type of money i'm sure not all market money is the same Mm -mm. but what are what are some types of money that that you feel like we should know about well, it's important to know that you have, like, every dollar, you have to immediately put it to work. So I, it's a weird thing, but you have to spend every dollar that you make immediately. And it sounds funny. Yeah. But you either need to be 
buying goods, bills, gasoline, cars, buying interest, buying benefits, buying assets. Mm. It ha- it can't sit in and like so, a checking account or a yeah, low interest savings account. Yeah, it can't. You need to be buying five percent worth of interest or or more, right? Or some sort of good and services that will give you in exchange for something better in the in the future. Okay. So that's that's what has to happen, and so everyone has to have the mindset that they need to be buying more money with their money and they need to spend their money as soon as they get it. And that seems counterintuitive because we all tell people, no, save, save, save. It's like, no, saving is a type of spending. It's just a, a type of buying something with your money. The hope is that you're going to be buying more money, mm. especially in retirement. The hope is that you're going to be buying a bigger bag of money than you could have bought by sure by just putting it in checking or, or well, other that's, things. That's really interesting. The idea of, because yes, yes, when you, when when people think of saving, they think of I am putting this dollar in a in a in a place for later. Yeah, they don't think about it as I'm going to use this dollar to buy a dollar and fifty cents. Exactly. You know, yep. that's not how you think about it. That's just now. Now, okay. Every now and then we talk about mindset shifts. Now, now we're we're coming across another mindset shift here yeah. of when you are saving your money, you're really buying the interest that that money can grow. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. And most people, when they think of saving money, they think of hoarding it. Yes, they do. That's exactly how, that's how I think about it or how I grew up thinking about it. I should say. Hoarding money is terrible. (laughs) Like you have to buy something with it. There's no difference. Like in my brain, there's no difference in saving uh, in, in my bank account versus just sticking it under the mattress. You know, it's like I'm saving it. It's just there. It's yeah. saved for, or putting it in a literal safe, right? Yeah. It's just, it's there for when I need it. Yeah. Boom. Um, I don't. It, and so in that case, it is just, you're not buying anything. You just stick it in there and it's not being used, which I guess in your mindset means like, well, then why, why does it exist? Like, what's the point of yeah, it? Yeah. You either buy something or you lose. Because as we discussed before, then when you go to use it to buy something, the, you can buy less. Exactly, due to as inflation. As to buying more. Uh, if your money sits in a physical place or in a place that's earning less than the rate of inflation, that dollar is depreciating. Yep. Fast. Very fast. Yeah. <laughs> especially if especially, it's just... Especially a, lately. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But so, this, I think this is, this is how you can transition to thinking differently about the stool because I think in the old mindset, it was just, it was like a hoarding mindset that turned into a stock market mindset. Right. And so then people ended up buying only buying the stock market for their future. Well, so in a way, in a way there was a progression there, right? So Mm -hmm. you have people hoarding it where it's not earning any cash I don't, and not losing. And well, not I mean, losing. there was inflation well, still existed from you know back in the day, but but it was very small. When we were on the gold standard, inflation wasn't that. It, it wasn't notable. I guess you, you maybe felt it every decade, but you definitely didn't feel it every year, as we've been feeling lately. Yeah, and one percent of inflation when something's eighteen cents is not much. <laughs> it doesn't feel like uh, yes. 
It doesn't feel like gas being $4 one day and $5 the next. Right, right. So so, so then so then we, we cut to the 80s, and, and now people are investing in these different retirement funds, the mm-hmm. 401k, the IRA. And so now they are buying a lar- potentially a larger payout. They're, they're buying a physical stock, hoping that that appreciates in value, mm-hmm. and that when they want to pull it out, they can then use that money to, to immediately use to live off of. Yeah, because that's the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the game, because it's, what's in your account in your 401k is not dollars. It has a dollar value based off of the items that are in it. Right. But you still have to sell it. Yes. In order to transition it to a medium of exchange out in the real world. Yes, I think I think we've we've re- reiterated this a few times, but I think it's it's definitely worth re- reiterating again, and we'll probably keep reiterating it because it's something that not a lot of people, I don't think, really sinks in. Is that the when you have a four hundred one k and IRA, it's not that there is no in, you're not earning interest. Yeah. You have a physical thing that is appreciating I or a, depreciating. I had a client today call and ask for some money out of their IRA. And I said, what What would you like to sell? And it was as if like I was speaking a foreign language. Mm-hmm. It Finance probably is a foreign language. But he was like, what What do you mean? <laughs> and I was like, well, you're invested in, th- you, you know, your account is invested in three different funds. Which ones do you want to sell off to? Had you thought about that? I have a recommendation, but had you thought about that? And he was like, what do you mean it's, I have to sell something? <laughs> and I had to explain, like, no, you, you have shares of, of, a, of funds right. that are invested in shares of stocks. And in order for that, in order for there to be cash in your bank account, we have to sell something. Mm-hmm. And he was just like blown away. Like yeah. never occurred to him. And I was like, well, here's my recommendation. He's like, yeah, just do that. Cause he had no idea. <laughs> sure. But that, that hurdle, that like mental thing is really tough, but it's really important to get over so that you can understand how you have to do the legs yes. of saving differently. Yes now versus the olden days so let's and you get, can't and you can't just you can't keep savings as this monolith leg no otherwise otherwise the thing doesn't doesn't work no and that will that will transition us beautifully into us discussing what exactly you mean by a six-legged stool it's a very interesting isn't it idea. though isn't it it's a very interesting idea it is something I feel like, you know, I've heard you. I'm, I'm looking at it before we discuss this. As I brought at, in a physical. You, you brought in a I physical whittled, stool. I told you, got out the lathe and. Oh, yeah, I'm very impressed. Six-legged stool. I'm very impressed. And I've, and I've seen this before, what you're showing me in a different context. Uh, but it's just so. so, so what, tell the listener what exactly do you mean by a six-legged stool? What are these legs? So. I think of it in two paradigms. One paradigm is the like the what paradigm of like what is the stool? Like mm-hmm. what are the legs? And for me, it breaks it down into three different dichotomies. The first one being 
taxed or non-taxed. And these are the six types of money that everybody needs to have. So you need taxed money, non-taxed money. So tax money being 401k. 401k, where you've deferred taxes and are growing, you're growing, you you got to defer your taxes for this tax year in an account that then grows and you, you're not taxed on those gains until you pull the money out. Right. And non-tax money would be like a Roth. Like a Roth, yeah. yeah. Or other vehicles that have the same IRS treatment where they can grow and then you can pull the money out with no tax consequences. Life insurance policy. Life insurance policy is, yeah. is a good one, yeah. So yeah. so we have, we have tax and non-tax. There's a couple other ones, but they're super boring and I don't know. They're not worth our time. Okay. Okay. So we have, so those are two taxed and non-taxed. Taxed those are two non-taxed. different legs. Two different legs. We have yes. tax, a tax leg. This is okay. So we're going, we're completely going away from the general pension, social security savings. And we're, these are whole, these are brand yeah, those new legs. Those legs broke. Those legs broke. And yeah, we, we got to, we got to have a new stool. This is a, okay. So, so two of them tax, non-taxed. Yep. Okay. The second set of two is market and non-market. Okay. So market being anything that's tied to a market, bond market, stock market, housing market. Those are the three most common markets that most people, and most people don't, most people forget about the housing market. I was going to say, but yeah, it, it is, do, yeah. it is a market. <laughs> it is, it is like, so you could have money in, in a property. Yeah. That would be your, that would can be considered it's a market, a market. Yes. Because it still operates the same way as buy and sell. It still operates and you have an asset that actually has no value until someone is willing to buy it. Right. Like my baseball cards. Yes. Like I can say it's worth a million dollars, but it doesn't matter if no one's willing to either buy them or loan me money against them as collateral. Mm-hmm. So they have to have those components to them. Okay. So that's a market because they could go up, they could go down. There are lots of factors that can contribute to you know, like the housing market right now with interest rates being almost eight, in some cases, 8%. Like buyers are saying, I'm good. I'm not buying. So when there's no buyers, what happens to that, to the value of things? Things go down. Because people are trying to sell at, we'll call it a million, but no one's buying. So then you have to start dropping your prices to a level where people will start to be interested in buying again. That's a market. The stock market, GameStop, like all these different things. Like they're all the same. Right. Because that's how markets work. Okay. So we have And so mo- then the, the the more people that are trying to buy the thing you've got, the higher the price the goes. The higher the price goes. Of course. Yeah, demand. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's markets. So but you also need money that's not tied to a market in any way, shape, or form. Okay. Because I think we talked about this at different times. Like especially in retirement, if you if you're only relying on money that's in the market, you cannot have the market go down. No, because if you pull out at a loss, you it really screws you. It's basically like shooting yourself in in both feet. Yeah, for your retirement income because you cut the legs off of your. And there's no and there's nothing you can do about that. You have no control over that. It's really a crapshoot. You just have to be very lucky that year or very lucky in that time of your retirement. Yeah, and and. You also have to think about, like, if retirement is going to last you 15 to 20 years. That's a long time to be in the market. You're going to have multiple down years of the market. And so you need something that's not tied to that. 
We call it a non-correlated asset. A non-correlated. So, yeah. so let's it's almost let's, like triggering a taxable event. Oh no! So we don't want to do that. So let's have let's have fun for a second. So yeah. we have tax, non-tax, market, non-market. So like a taxed non-market. Yeah. So what this, would that be? Tax non-market. Yeah. Would be something that you own. Like I'm trying to think of what's a tax non-market. It's a good question. So like a CD. A CD. CD. Is or CDs, a, a HYSA is a taxed non-market. High yield savings, a tax non- that, that, I mean, yeah, Depending yes, on how much money. They're yeah, an yeah. interest rate market, but that's that's different because these are, this gets into our third one, which I won't spoil it, but it's it's guaranteed. Okay. So when you buy a CD, it's guaranteed right. for a time period. So it's, it's, technically it is like interest rate environment, but it's not a market the same way as the others. So okay. a taxed, but then you're taxed on the growth. Oh, the well, okay. Let's do, how about, so like a taxed market is a 401k. hundred percent. And a, almost a hundred percent, unless you've done a Roth 401k. A non-tax non-market is a life insurance policy. Yeah. Life insurance policy. Yeah. You could have, there's different fixed accounts within retirement accounts. So you could have like you could have Roth money, but sitting in like a cash account almost, or like a mm -hmm. fixed interest account and things like that. So there's a few different, but there's not too many. There's not too many combos like that. There's not too many non-market, non-tax. I was going to ask like, what's a non-tax market? Does that exist? Yeah. Roth IRA. Oh yeah. Market. Roth IRA. Yeah. Market. Per oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. 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 Okay. So. So, but then, then we're going to throw two more legs into the mix. Yep. Which are, you already said guaranteed. Yep. Guaranteed and non-guaranteed. So what does that mean? So when you have guaranteed stuff coming in, like, so some of it is like, I want to say like, none of these legs are bad because sometimes these connotations of tax, non-tax, people hate tax. I get that. That's the one leg that everyone hates. Right. But most people use it. So, but these are in the guaranteed, non-guaranteed, like, Non-guaranteed stuff is like market stuff. It's not guaranteed. But there are ways to utilize these different ones and have, like you can have non-market, non-tax guaranteed money mm. in, in some weird ways because you can shelter, because you can shelter different types of money into different pockets of the IRS code. Like a Roth IRA doesn't have to be in the market. You can do a Roth IRA. Oh, I didn't know that. You can do a Roth IRA within an income annuity, like a self-made pension product. Oh, interesting. And you could be stashing money in. Well, how does it grow? Because the bank uses it and pays you interest on it. Yeah, or life insurance. They they, they can give you interest on them, or they can okay. give you. There's what are known as participating ones that pay dividends. Okay. Yeah. So your yeah, yeah, yeah. your your future income buying potential can grow. And then you can turn on a tax-free paycheck for life. A tax-free paycheck for life. I know, doesn't that sound amazing? That's amazing. But it doesn't, it's one of those things where when you, when you look at the six-legged stool, no single product does all these legs well. I can't imagine that it would. Yes. Yeah. There, there's so much out there and there are, there's no way there's one magic thing that does everything. It's because you can only pick from one side of the one side of the spectrum for yeah. each product. Right. So you can't have 
you can't have like guaranteed market non-tax because the market isn't guaranteed by default. Yeah. But you need market because that offers an opportunity for growth. Okay. Versus if you, if you stayed out of the market, you would, you have the potential to short circuit how far you can go with your money. Got it. Over the long haul. Right. So, but that's where a single product, you need to have market and non-market. So that way they can work in conjunction. Sure. So you actually can get the best value out of all the different products. But most people will just tell you single product mentality. Well, but, usually because they're trying to sell you something. That could be. Yeah. And it's also old old knowledge or old old thinking in mm-hmm. my in my view. And it's the idea of building I think I said to you like say it's the old idea of building a stump. Yeah. Instead of a stool. <laughs> right. So but then you you in, you inherently pick up every risk that's associated with every product. Yeah. And what people do is they try and mit- mitigate the risk within a product. It's so like within the stock market, they try and mitigate the risk by getting more conservative. Mm. But that just turns off its number one feature, which is growth. Yeah. And so if you, if you allowed your stuff that's in the market to always be growing and then let it, let it stay in a growth sector because you have something complementary to it that's not tied to it, you can let it do what it's supposed to do. Okay, we're going to talk we're going to take a break. We're taking a break here and talking about the six-legged stool. We're going to want for one last time talk about our book choice to co- that coincides with this three-part series. Yep. Adrift by Scott Galloway. America in 100 charts. That's right. That's the subtitle. Now, New York Times bestseller. It is. It says so. Right on top. It's, it's not. It's not even. It's beyond sticker. It's just boldly printed. Yep. Above First the thing title. You read. Yep. First thing you read above the title. New York Times bestseller. So we wanted to take uh, a moment to talk about some of our favorite charts because again, there's nothing better for an audio medium than talking, talking about, about charts. charts. We're gonna talk about what three percent of the charts. Very small. Just some ones that hit. That, that hit us in a very particular way. You can. Do you want to start? Is there one that you... you start us Start us off. Well, uh, okay, so I'll talk about one. Yeah, this, do, that, do that one. Sure, I'll do this one. So this one, it's not even necessarily about money, but it's just very interesting. And I'm going to try to summarize it. Basically, it's about the internet. And the... Yes, please, summarize the internet for it's us. It's about the, hard, the, the advancements of hardware versus the advancements of the social networking Mm. of the internet. There's a thing called Moore's Law, which basically states that every 18 months, the amount of processing power of of a computer or of 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 a chip, of a computing chip, essentially doubles. And that's been constant since the 60s. It's a constant rate. It has not changed. Then there's something called Metcalf's law, which basically states that the the value of the internet is not based on the amount of users, but the amount of connections that the internet can give you. Hmm. 
and how that over the past few decades, it's mainly been Metcalf's law that's been rising faster. Yeah. As the internet's been going on and more connections have been being made, the value has been going up, 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 yep. up. However, since about, I'm looking at the chart right now, I want to say it looks to be about 2010. That around the 2010s, Metcalf's law has not been rising as fast. And Moore's law has been keeping trudging along. And the idea is that we're going to hit an inflection point where the amount of connections the internet can give us is going to, I interpret it as plateau. However, the technology is still going to advance. And so when we look at technology, it's not going to be so much about the connections the internet can give us and more about the level of physical technology we can have. Yeah. Which is, which I find very, it's, it's like the, the hardware is going to outpace the software of it, which has not, and it's been the opposite for most of our computing life. Yeah. Well, I always, so one of the things I found fascinating about that chart when I first looked at it was because I study a lot of history, I always ask, okay, what was going on at these different times in 2000? Like where, where it starts to plateau is where we haven't had anything new in terms of you had Facebook already on the scene, mm -hmm. Google on the scene, Apple, the iPhone. So like, and if you really Instagram, like all these things like were part of that push yep. up, but then that sort of set, like how else can we connect? I know it's all like, like, what do I, I already have this. I know. I already have a, my iPhone. People are trying to, I mean, there's advancements on VR, virtual reality, but like. Yeah, but it's not, it, you're not going to, you're not going to put VR in everyone's pocket the way you put an iPhone in everyone's pocket. No. Like. And the iPhone, ever since the iPhone 10, aside from the camera, which again is the advancements of the hardware, not the software. Yeah. It's not that different. It's really not that different. Yeah, I don't, I don't, it's one of those things where like, I don't, I don't know what you do with it. What do you, how do you make it? There, I don't know either. You, you don't have anything that's going to like, someone's got to come up with something that's like seismically different. Well, I think that's where, I think that's where AI is coming in. I think people are trying to do that with AI for better or worse. Yeah. Like it or like it or hate it. I think that's what people are trying to do with AI. Yeah, that's that. I think that's going to be the next. Well, let's ask AI to make an iPhone. No, let's not ask <laughs> AI anything. I'm okay. All right, I'm okay. All right, so that yeah, that's a really fascinating. I just chart. find that yes, I find it very, and it just kind of tells us about where we're going in terms of technological advancement, where it's going to start being more about the hardware of it than the software of it. I think, or or the practicality and uses of it. You know. Yeah. 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 Do the do the social one. The social one. So we're going to get when you, we get halfway through this book, that's when start stuff really starts getting interesting. You can curse, I'll beep it out. <laughs> one. Oh, that that one. one yeah. First of all, I just stumbled on this one page 68. The amount in the of hardcover. And the hardcover. The amount of money that the US spends on R&D has gone down, which 
Maybe versus the- versus the private sector has gone up. So a lot of research is more on the private sector than the public sector, which, you know, take that as you will. Oh my gosh, is that the one with the amount of... That's the chart with the amount of names in IPO documentation, isn't it? Yes, it is. So <laughs> that one... That one kills me because I'm a fan of WeWork from the perspective of like watching a disaster. Yeah, sure. And then like there's a documentary on WeWork. Uh, Anne, Anne Hathaway and uh, Jared Leto, they're, they're in the, the Apple movie. one. Uh, I have we not. Crashed, we I think. crashed. I have not seen it. It's it, people. Have, so many people have told me to see it. It's It's on my list. It's. You, it should be on your list. You should watch it. Watch it over Thanksgiving weekend. You'll you'll okay. You'll be, you'll be happy that you did. Okay. But that 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 chart is about how many times in uh, essentially when you when you take a company public, you have to produce like these documents, all these different documents about why the company should exist and and things like that. So in WeWork's IPO documentation. Uh, Adam Newman is named in it how many times? 169. And how many times was Steve Jobs named in Apple's IPO? Eight. Yeah. <laughs> so it just goes to sort of show, and there's there's this. It's a progression. It's a progression. This so chart. Like, this chart is cartoon heads of different sizes, and the heads get bigger as you as the names grow. Yeah. So like, you know, Bill Gates was named 23 times when Microsoft went public back yep. in 86, which goes to show, and, and like we said, Steve Jobs was only eight and back in 80, that they, though they are a founder of it, they really considered the company itself yeah. more important than the individual. Whereas you cut to Robinhood, Affirm, and WeWork, those <laughs> guys, their their names are in there over 100 times. Yeah. And so there's, which- there's a head inflation happening. If you know about what these documents are, their names should not be in them at that all. many times. Like, and if you want, you can reach out to us. I can actually send you the the WeWork. I have it on PDF if you want to read it. It's sure. quite it's quite interesting. So that, I think that's the crux of what we're getting at and um, is the idea of having multiple things in different places mm-hmm. because that way, let's say you have a non-market and a market, yeah. right? The market goes down and you were using the market for a while. Now you start taking from the non-market pool yep. to let the market pool refill to to recover do its thing yeah yeah do let it do its thing that's not to say you can't take from it but you don't need to take as much you can take just enough so that it still recovers yeah while you're primarily and this is where the idea of the wobbly six-legged stool kind of comes in that we kind of talked about last episode where you know any 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 stool or seat that has more than three legs depending on the ground it's on will probably wobble yeah 
Uh, but that just allows whatever legs are up off the ground to recover a bit. Yeah. To have a little less stress on it while you put more stress on the other legs mm-hmm. and then vice versa. You can lean back on the... Exactly. On, yeah. And it also it also prevents any of them from... Any of the legs from breaking. Mm. Which is, I think... Which is a, huge because right now, as we're seeing with the three-legged stool, one has already broken and one feels like it wants to break. Yeah. Y- yeah. One... You know, some people are like, well, the, the stock market's about to break. It could be it could be headed for a burst at any moment. And then there's no stool at all. And so th- that's that's the danger. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the problem with the the old model. And there's a false assumption with the old model that all the all the legs are equal in length so that the stool is stable yeah (laughs) like that's just not that's just not how it works anymore right and so you need the 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 best way to create stability with uneven legs is to have more legs to yes to help so you so you stay up on the stool yeah so so it, it, it wobbles like you've been saying but the wobble nature is compensated for it's natural yeah. Yeah. And this all ties. So this is all helping with, and we should say, I feel like that we should have a disclaimer of where this is not necessarily investment advice. This is just us discussing yeah, our, for, own, yeah, our own is, philosophy. Yeah. This is a philosophy. I mean, I've, we've run numbers and scenarios and tested and looked at, looked at different things, but it was inherently looking at the risks of commonplace approaches to investing and saving in retirement that started showing like, like if you have, if your whole retirement plan is a half million dollars in a 401k, Mm -hmm. you are 100% dependent on the market. Mm. You 100% probably have a tax liability and you 100% are not guaranteed. I don't like that. Well, (laughs) well, it, it creates, it creates a precarious, situation it's it's yeah yeah it does because your whole life now is dependent on this yeah and you know me we've talked about many times before how risk averse i am when it comes to my finances like that idea of my life being completely dependent on something i can't control terrifies me yeah i no, i like big big x big red x i don't want that well and then you get into these positions where then you have to you yourself have to try and prop up your account with more money or you have to take away its best features. Like you have to exit the marketplace. You have to exit the stock market in order to have stability. And like, okay, well that, that doesn't work long-term right? because if you exit growth, then you don't go anywhere. And so it's really hard to navigate these different pieces and get them situated just right. But I'm convinced that it takes less resources to build six legs than it does to build one leg that you can really stand on. And why is that? Is it because that to fund, let's say, for example, you have, let's say you have uh, a 401k. Mm that your that your employer matches and you also have a life insurance policy 
right? Mm-hmm. One non-market, one market. Yep. Why does that need less money than if you just put all your money in a in that 401k or all your money in that life insurance policy? What what why why would why would front loading one policy, not front loading, but like dumping everything into one policy be more costly than filling half filling up other like two different policies yeah because that that would only you would essentially put a cap on where it could go like because those policies because of the nature of them they're not going to get the elevation they're not going to get the growth that you could find elsewhere they're also not going to have the loss which is the great thing but in the long in the long term, you need to be running both simultaneously. And if you had a thousand dollars and you put five hundred in each versus a thousand in each, you will or a thousand and one or a thousand and one, yeah, that you you will end up in a in a more stable situation in the future. At times, the thousand in the market may be you could look at it and you know, at some point in, in the history and be like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's 2006 and I'm rich. Mm-hmm. And then you can look at it in 2008 and be like, holy crap. <laughs> right. Because at, at times along the journey, one may perform better at that specific moment in time. And, and could you can make a case for it based off of that one moment in time. This one's way better. That one sucks. And then... In 2008, everyone was like, oh, life insurance policy that gives 5%, 6% in dividends is, you know, the greatest thing on earth compared to negative 40 in the market. Right. So because of that aspect of the way things work, doing both simultaneously, it may not look like you have as big a bag of money on paper, but when you go to deploy it in the real world, your money will go a lot further and you'll have a lot more of it. And is that just because when it's time to deploy, when you are retiring and it's time to actualize that money, mm-hmm. you you aren't fully dependent on one or the other. You can yep. let them kind of recover. Yeah. Should one Should one be performing better, you can primarily take from that one. So the other one can kind of rise a little bit and then exactly. you take from that one. Exactly. So you may you may hinder some of your stock market growth potential by not having all of it there. And at times that will affect your account value. In the long run, you'll be glad you didn't because in like a 2008 situation, if you had that thousand there and you had zero in the other, in the non-market bucket, when near thousand goes to 500, you're feeling that now to get your 500 back to a thousand, it has to double. Mm. So now you're talking, you know, anywhere, maybe seven to 10 years for it to double and come back split situation, 500, 500, you lose 250. It still has to double, but you only lost 250. Mm-hmm. You didn't lose 500. Right. So now your your 500 that's over here is still earning and your the 250 is earning. Yeah. yeah. Your non-market's still earning and your market is still earning. 
So you uh, you essentially offset the risk of effect of the loss in a in a significant way. Yeah. But you also mitigate the because it's not two fifty that you lost. It's less because your five hundred is still earning. Right. So you're you you have to think of it all. This is all of, of my all of money. It. Yep. And so, like, yes, it may look like oh, I lost two fifty here, but over here. There's money still growing. So it's not really, you haven't in totality really lost $250. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you might just be, but you might've only lost 200 sure. in totality because of the way things are positioned. And then it's really important when it comes to turning it into income and turning it into the future and making sure you have a longevity to your money. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have options with your money, you are in a pickle mm. because like we said, like if you're dependent on the market, you have to pull market out no matter what. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. If you're only non-market and you have to pull money out, that's a problem because your miss, your money just won't pick exactly. up enough speed to have the longevity. Yeah. And so you need to have both, but it's not just two accounts. It's like setting up multiple different, things because oftentimes you know a life insurance policy and a 401k suck at medical expenses your exchange rate there is dollar for dollar mm -hmm. as opposed to having other things whether they're like hsas or long-term care or other products that help cover future medical those things do much better <laughs> at uh, paying those better exchange rate. You can buy more dollars right. with that. So that's where you start putting dollars in different places to buy you different types of dollars. Yeah. So now, now this is real strategy. Now we're talking about, this yeah. isn't just following a step-by-step -step thing. This is actually strategizing. Okay. And it's like looking at, we talked about the safe withdrawal rate of 4%. Well, peeling out part of your money and getting 8% through like, uh, a high payout income annuity. Now you've, you haven't gone all in on that because if you go all in on that, you're stuck with that mm -hmm. as opposed to, and you lose your flexibility. And so, but a piece of that will take a piece of your market money, put it into that. Now you're able to get an 8% withdrawal rate guaranteed for life. And you can let your market money do what it's supposed to do and take from it. So then you start putting these different pieces together and you can create much better longevity, much safer rides, and much better rides. And actually, you can create over time more money in your system mm -hmm. through these different things. That Having an actual system rather than just because Because yeah. what you're saying is complicated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like that is not simple. That is, that's a lot of forethought and foresight. That's a lot of talking with a, with a financial planner. That's a lot of investing in different, that's a lot of, you know, taking your money and putting it in different vehicles. There's a lot of thought there and yeah. it's a lot more than just, I'm going to take a part of my paycheck and put it in a 401k and, and my, my yeah. boss is going to, my, my employer is going to match that. So it can sound, it can feel and sound intimidating. Yeah. And it does. Yeah. Because it's a lot. But what we're getting at is that is essentially just hoping to get you to think, is what I'm doing enough? Really? 
Yeah. Could I be doing more? Are there other places I could be putting my money to mitigate loss, which I think is the most important thing when it comes to retirement that, and you'll hear a lot of people who are wealthy, like not just rich, but the, like, you know, who's the big investor that we talk about all the time. Buffett. Buffett. Thank you. His whole thing is like, is about mitigating loss. And anyone who's actually wealthy will tell you that it's not just, it's not about how much money you can make. It's about how much money can you prevent to lose. Yeah. You know, and most of us, and most of us are sort of just blindly doing a one-legged stool strategy. Right. And it, what we're trying to do in the real world with clients is like, like it doesn't have to be complicated. We think we have some solutions that like can help you make sense. Like the, the paradigm of tax, non-tax guaranteed, non-guaranteed market, non-market. Like it's a simple framework, hopefully that gets people thinking like, Oh, I'm here. Where do I want to be? And then why does it make sense to be balanced this way as opposed to just being balanced within my investment account, which is modern portfolio theory primarily just takes into account your stocks and bonds mix. Yeah. And the, you know, it's still on all the licensing tests today. Like you take your age hundred minus your age. That's how much percentage you should be in stocks. A hundred minus my age. So you should, I should be, I should be 68% in stocks. Yeah. And 32% in bonds in your portfolio. Nope. (laughs) but that's still that still exists how does that even happen like how did that become an idea well it's old modern old Old modern modern portfolio theory Uh, stuff that you know so then they'll take a 60 year old and say oh you should only be 40 percent in stocks because you can't lose so you need to be 60 percent in bonds which don't grow oh i see what they're trying to do okay so that's that's where, but I, I think most people haven't gone like, well, what if the way to mitigate your stock market risk is something completely different Yeah, that does a way better job? Mm-hmm. I just don't know that people are thinking that way no. as advisors or consumers. Well, people aren't thinking. That's the problem. They're just doing <laughs> No, yeah, yeah, but but it's just like it's 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 it reminds me, you know, growing up, whenever I did something, whenever I made a faux pas, my dad got mad at me. He'd be like, "What were you thinking?" And I'd be like, and "He'd be like, you weren't thinking, were you?" Yeah. And I'm like, "No, I wasn't really thinking. I just yeah. kind of did it." And that's what I think about a lot of people are with retirement. They're just not thinking. Mm-hmm. They're just doing, and they're being mindless about it, yep. as opposed to mindful about it. And another thing, and this will segue us, I think, into our penny for your thoughts. Yeah, which is, which also is the third part of yeah. this episode, which is why it might be best to not retire. Which is, it's 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 scandalous, you know. It's because everyone we've talked about before need more of that cheap old fashioned. I think, yeah, yeah we do. Hold on one second. You want some of that? Oh yeah. Just a bit. Okay. So we hold on one second. Let's just, let me just quickly do this. The water will probably help a little bit too. There you go. Oh. 
Here we go. Give I told you class. this was going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my gosh. Please. Thank you, sir. Wait. Oh, oh. Oh, man. Okay. There we go. So, we've talked about, we've talked about before how uh, ever since the 80s, everyone's financial strategy hinges on retirement, centered on retirement. It's mm-hmm. the crux of everything. It's why people invest. It's why people do anything with their money is because they're thinking about retirement. Yeah. And yet you feel that possibly, maybe, retirement might not be the end-all, be-all, end game that we have kind of made it out to be. That it's not this brass ring to reach for that everyone is thinking about you know we've said before about you know that 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 being on a yacht sailing through the caribbean or whatever and how that actually doesn't really happen a lot in retirement if you're lucky to make that happen good for you but retirement doesn't often look like that it's kind of sad for some (laughs) people to to put it bluntly to put it bluntly yeah retirement can look very sad For some people. And so you're theorizing that retirement night might not exactly be the best move. Yeah. And it's not only just like, so there's a few things that happen and they've been doing studies. Wow. That, those bitters really sank to the bottom of that (laughs) bottle. We should have, we think we should have shaken it a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Drinking bitters. Here we go. So what happens is if you have to turn off income, that's one, that's one whole scenario and then live off your savings. That's one whole reality. Mm -hmm. There's this whole other reality that I think is starting to get some more airtime, so to speak. Okay. And it has to do with what happens like socially and psychologically to people when they retire. Cause it's, it seems like this like cool thing. Yes. No work. Ha huh, Relax. Go do travel, see the world. That's sort of the, the image that retirement's been given. Yes. Every ad is about like every financial company's ads, except for one is geared around like we meet with our guy he helps us stay on track we want to travel we want to this that help the kid you know like whatever it might be none of them are like well what do we do now (laughs) like yeah none of them are the reality of like old age or i mean because i'm my theory is that it doesn't sell financial products to say (laughs) You know, to be like, all right, here's your 9000 a month check. Are you glad you worked with us for your retirement needs? Mm-hmm. Like, it's probably not not a not a seller. But what they're well, fine. 9000 a month is good. Oh, I meant a year. Sorry. That oh, was I was going to say, uh, 9000 a month, four, that's really good. Here's your 4% withdrawal rate. Oh, 9000 a year, if that's what you meant, is a lot worse. Yeah. That's that's. T- that's a lot worse. Yeah, that's what I that's what I meant. So, 
but what what they've been studying is and it started with studying athletes that retire early because athletes traditionally oh, around the 40 around like late 30s early 40s yeah, they retire because yeah. they essentially are they age out of being competitive in in sports um you know i mean tom brady's kind of the miracle of going to like his 40s or like nolan ryan pitching the way he did we Those i was just talking in, with a buddy we were just watching a laker game and um uh lebron james is like almost 40 and yet he's still out there on the court. How? Like, yeah. like MJ and and Kobe, may he rest in peace, were both retired at at, at this point. Yeah. You know, and, and LeBron's still out there. Like yeah. that that's impressive in its own right. Yeah, and very rare. Very, very rare. So yeah. but you have these they started studying athletes that retire and they started looking at like what happens to them in retirement because now they have forty Years, yes, uh, roughly, and they've spent their whole life doing a sport. And for for some of them, and a lot of them, they've been able to earn enough money that that could be a possibility Mm -hmm. compared to most workers in America, (laughs) right? Because those those contracts are a lot of money. If if they're smart with their money, then they could live off that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the the things that they started finding was one. Isolation, loneliness, depression were some of the first things to set in. And they originally were looking at it from the perspective of, oh, it's because they don't have competition. They don't have a mission. Mm. And they started realizing that that was part of it. But a big part of it was they lost a lot of their social connections. Yeah, if you think about it, if you're on a team... You know, depending on the type of team you're on, but there's, you know, a couple dozen guys you're hanging out with on a daily basis, mm-hmm. talking about whatever, talking about your wives, your girlfriends, your kids, yep. maybe grabbing a bite to eat after practice or, mm-hmm. or, or what have you. Like that is your, your work is your social hour. Exactly. And so then they start, then they, then some other people were like, let's look at this further. And there's like some studies by like MIT, Columbia. There's this long generational study in China that looked at what about people that retire early? What happens with them? And the same thing. Like, it's like, cool, I don't have to work anymore. I'm 50. But isolation, loneliness, depression. And then on the heels of that is those are there's some correlating factors between some of that and like serious cognitive issues like Alzheimer's and dementia Mm. setting in what seems like much earlier than maybe should be quote unquote normal. And so then in looking at seniors that retire or like actual retirees, they were finding essentially the same thing. The people that retire oftentimes face isolation, loneliness, and depression, and then also seem to have earlier onsets of dementia, Mm. Alzheimer's, compared to people that continue to work and remain incredibly socially active. And so you put a few of these studies together and you can start to see kind of this picture that like retirement might actually not be a great thing for us in our our mental health. Now, is that... A, a couple questions. Do you think that might have to be with the American mindset of work where there are, the, the, you know, right now there's been in the past few years a big push for work-life balance. And in, in, in the pandemic, 
did a lot of things. And one of those things is I think because the fact that it forced people home realized, Oh wait, my life before where I was never with my family was either worse or better depending on your family. But it just opened people's eyes of like, Oh, I should be, there's a lot of people were like, I should be with my family more. Yes. You know? Yeah. And, and so like, could, could part of that be the American work ethic of, of, you know, of focusing completely on your career, never taking a vacation, like the, your family, you like your job is your family. You don't really have a lot of friends outside of work so that when you do retire, who do you hang out with? Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot of truth in what you just said. The, the thing I've been thinking about is how undervalued the social connections are at work are on our, on our psyche. Mm-hmm. Like that, as I read some of these studies and stuff, like beyond a paycheck, the social interaction and the relationships, very valuable. It's one of, and I am, I'm willing to say it's one of the most valuable pieces of work is being around other people. You know, what's interesting for better or for worse. doesn't matter. I was, so, so I was talking with a younger writer today. She, she was asking me about what brought me into writing and stuff like that. And she, she graduated pretty much near when the pandemic hit and she has a job as a production coordinator, but it was, it was completely remote. She was never in an office and she, because she was in an office, she wasn't like meeting with people and seeing people on a daily basis. And she was asking me like, this is where I want to be, but I don't like my job. Like, do you think I should just get like a job at a coffee shop and, and like just work on writing and stuff? And I was like, honestly, you need to find a job that's like hybrid that puts you in an office. Mm-hmm. Take that. I know you don't like your job, but if that job puts you in the building, literally where other people are working, then you can get lunch with them. You can get coffee with them. They're more willing to walk down the stairs and meet with you than they are to like drive across town to meet with you. Yeah. So like. And that's just one aspect of why working in a physical environment around people is beneficial. It's because it can help with career growth, career longevity. But it also, like you said, it does that social aspect where you see these people all the time and they do become your friends. Not all of them. Some of them you hate. Yeah. And but but a, yeah. but there's still like a social aspect to it where you feel like you're around people you're hearing people talk, you're, you're eavesdropping on people's conversations, it's getting your mind active, you're hearing other points of view, uh, whether you like it or not, and it's just a social environment that keeps you alive. Yeah, yeah, and it's true. There are some people that are going to be negative for your mental health <laughs> that you work with, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. But the alternative to that is not isolation. No, that is equally as bad, if not worse. Well, I think the pandemic also opened our eyes to that. Like as, as, as much as it showed us that a work-life balance is important, it also showed us that complete isolation is not healthy. No, no. But that's what they're finding for people that retire is there was like, it's like a big let down of sorts. Cause it, it, it seems like it's supposed to be this, but then you enter into the reality. Yeah. Of it. And it's especially it, if you don't have a partner, like God forbid your partner passes away. Yeah. You know, like, 
or you get divorced, you know, like it's, and then you're on, and, and you're on your own in your retirement that, and now that's a whole lot worse. Well, you know? we have a, a higher level of singleness in older adults now than we did a decade ago or several decades ago. And that's a thing that kind of worries me is that we're going to have a bunch of single retirees mm-hmm. and what what is that going to do to like mental health and like well it silos you i think it's going to be very unfortunate yeah you know it, it, it's going it, to if anything people are going to look for people are going to look for community virtually which isn't necessarily bad but it can easily put you in yeah. an echo chamber and um, which is which is bad. So uh, it, it it is one of those things where if if people who are single are retired, it's going to take a lot of proactivity. Yeah, and and this is why I think it's important. And it's again something I was telling this 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 writer that I was talking with earlier today is that how important it is to foster relationships. Yeah, you know, foster friendships, and for the purpose of this podcast, actual friendships, mm-hmm. like not just like work friendships, but people that you meet outside of work so that when you do leave work, they're not still at the office working. You have yeah. other people that you relate to on a different level. Yeah. You know, like, it's, and I, I think, I think the value of friendship is especially, I mean, not, not to women are really good at keeping friends. Women are fantastic at it. It's, it's, it's honestly amazing what I've seen Sydney do, what I've seen the way I've seen her mom do Mm. like, like they are amazing at keeping relationships. They truly are. Men are not men are very bad at it. And, and it's really more of a call like, and and so it's just like, you need to be able to be vulnerable and make a friend and, and, and keep that friendship alive. Yeah. Which, which is work. It's, it's work. Any relationship is work, but you're going to be thankful you did when you retire and you have nothing else to do and you call up your buddy and you're like, Hey, you're retired too. Let's go do something, you know, or like join a club, join a sport, do something, do something that gets you out there. Well, that's why the studies to me and their response to retirement, depression and early onset, you know, mental illness, their solutions are very funny to me. Cause like number one is get a job. Like, it's like that's it's the, the whole point. You the whole point you retired is to stop working. Yeah, but but it's because it's because having a job makes so much sense for it gives you a purpose, purpose, productivity, mental health, relationships, all of that. The second is volunteer a bunch. Sure, that I love. I like volunteering more than I like getting a job. Well, you might have to get a job for money for but, the money. You might, but that affects your social security. <laughs> You're learning. <laughs> I love the idea of volunteering, but finding a purpose. I think the crux is finding a purpose. I say crux a lot in this episode. Yeah. You can probably, you know, have a drinking game about it, but the whole, I think the really, the reason retirement can suck so much is because there's no purpose anymore. Your job was your purpose and now you have no purpose. And now you're like, what the hell do I do with my life? With the rest of my life. And, And I think finding a purpose for some people, it's hanging out with their grandkids that's their purpose. If you don't yeah. have grandkids, maybe you like fixing stuff around the house. I don't know, but it's really about finding that purpose. Volunteering yeah. is a great purpose. And being out of your house is another strong recommendation. Yes. And then yeah. another one is just spend spend a lot of time with people. 
Because that is that seems to be the thing that is the linchpin to some of the the depression, the isolation, the loneliness. Right. Obviously, if you're with people, you you know, isolation and loneliness sort of take care of themselves because you're with people. But it has some serious effects on your mental health. Well, I will say, make sure you're around because you can still be lonely and be around people. There's a weird. There's a weird. Uh, it's, it's like a dichotomy where you can, if you're not around people that you connect with it, don't just stand in a crowd. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, it's, it's, it's the, the real trick is finding people that you, and you can go to like, you know, your city probably has parks and rec programs where you can go to pottery classes or art classes or some type of classes. If you're, there's uh, a pick, there's a pickleball league at the park up, up from my street there that existed before pickleball was cool. One of the, and it's all old people. It's but, a yes. But you 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 get around them and you you think they're like 20 years younger than they actually are. Yeah, cuz they're around and they're active. Yeah. yeah. And it's such difference of like yeah, like spirit. So. Yeah. And date. My Cindy's Cindy's Nana. <laughs> Unless you're still married maybe. I don't well, know. well, yeah. Or or I mean, hey, you no, know. No, 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 no. When 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 Cindy's poppy died and her Nana was in a home, her Nana was in an elevator with this guy named Bob who was missing two fingers due to the war. Yep. Which war? I don't know, but it was the war. Uh, the first one. And, and he was on his way to the movie theater because his late wife and him would always go see a movie together. And Nana was like, do you want some company? And they started dating and it's That's adorable. So- it's so sweet. That's and so it's also, you know, you can put yourself out there. But anyway, this is, this is all about retirement and maybe not retiring. It's the idea here is like, yeah. maybe hold on until I think, I think the big thing here is to not think about retirement as this brass ring. It is not, it's not going to be like you working and then the next day you retire and suddenly you're going to feel really good about yourself. Yeah. I I liken it to on the planning side, you got to plan for how you're going to have income for the rest of your life and how you're going to fund the rest of your life. And then for, your maybe your post working years, how are you going to spend those productively? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's work, sometimes it's not. But you put those two pieces together and you figure out ways to plan so that you have income for the rest of your life and that you can be productive for the rest of your life, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. That's that's it. That's it. And that's your penny for your thoughts. There you go. Right there. Yeah. And with that, I think that kind of wraps up this episode. Again, this is not necessarily investment advice. We're not telling you what to do with your money. This is just a philosophy that we have. If you follow it, good for you. If you don't, good for you. It's really up to you. Talk to more people than just this podcast. Yeah. Because you're yeah. not actually talking to us. You're listening to us. And a conversation is way better than just listening to people. Yep. If you're talking to someone who's smart and knows <laughs> yeah. what they're saying. Exactly. But this concludes our three-part series on retirement. Ron, how do you feel? How do you feel Love about it? it? You love it? You like it? Yep. Do you know what's the future going to look like? Do you, do you have any idea of what's going to happen next? Silence is everything. <laughs> I think we should do a three-part series on debt. Whoa! That's a big one. Why it's bad. Why it's amazing. It's and amazing. I'm a debt right now, and I love it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I am. Well, you're not alone. Thanks for listening to What's Up With Money. We'll continue our conversation in the next episode. 
But until then, please subscribe to rate and review the show. Giving a rating or review helps other people find the show. So if you like what you're hearing and you want others to hear it too, please give us a rating, share us on social media, or both. Reviews are also where you can leave us questions. So if you have any financial questions for us, please leave them in the review. We may answer it on the show. We love questions. We'll be back next week to continue our conversation and hopefully get a little bit closer to answering the age-old question, What's What's up up with money? Trying to find the one that we just... Okay, here it is. Decline in community-based activities in the U.S. You wanted to talk about this one. Yeah. Yeah, I think it it ties... And this ties in with our retirement discussion. Yep. That we are especially going to dive into later on in this episode. Yeah. But this discusses essentially how... Now, now there's a lot of factors. And and there's a lot of factors that attribute to these. Yep. So, but essentially... It it shows four major social clubs that have declined in participation. Yep. Church membership has gone down. Boy and Girl Scout memberships have gone down. Rotary Club memberships have gone down. And the amount of adult of the amount of adults who talk to their neighbors have gone down. Yep. Now again, there is a lot of reasons why each of these have gone down that is that are their own separate reasons. Yes. But the the idea here is that there is a stray away from traditional social environments. Yeah. Now that's not a, to say like I'll, across the board, religious, non-religious, age, right. age-based, it all of it's going down. Now my my wonderment here, my wonderment is, are there things that were are are people finding other ways to be social? Is my question. You know what I mean? Like, is is it? Well, aside from <laughs> aside virtually, from as you hold up your phone, yep. aside from virtually, are there things that are replacing, because there is, so like church memberships, there is a big movement away. That's not just a social thing. There is there is this kind of in the zeitgeist, this move away from organized religion. It's just, yep. it's just happening. Boys and Girl Scouts, there's a lot of controversy with those organizations and therefore understandably a lot of parents aren't like signing their kids up but every year we buy their cookies but we buy their cookies regardless uh adults who talk to their neighbors uh i fully believe that that if you live in a, uh, a metropolis and you feel like your your environment is online you don't feel like there's a necessity to talk to the person that lives right next yeah. to you so like and I don't know anything about Rotary Clubs, so I can't talk on that. I don't even know what they are, to be honest. I don't, they sponsor highways sometimes, I, I guess. Think. I, don't, I, I guess. Don't, I don't know. What I they have are no either. idea what a Rotary Club is. It sounds like a union thing, but, um, but I could be wrong. It's probably not. But um, there's, there are old, old decades long social environments are going away. Yeah. And that either, and, and it, it now, that doesn't necessarily mean there's a one-to-one correlation. It does not mean that something's going to replace it. It just means that something's going away. Yeah. But if something's not replacing it, then that's scary in terms of social interaction mm-hmm. and in terms of your retirement. Yeah. Because who are you going to interact with and where? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I have a 
I have a theory about our social structures or social environments and things like that. That if the environment itself provides a significant social advantage and an economic advantage, you'll stay in it. Oh, yeah. 100%. So, like, we'll use the church because I'm a pastor's kid and... I'm a deacon's son, yeah. so let's do so, this. Let's yeah. do this. Catholic and Protestants. There Perfect. We go. <laughs> Perfect. We've always seen eye to eye. Yeah, always. <laughs> so, and it's Christmas season. So, all right. So, if if religion served, I think for a long time, religion served, organized religion served a social purpose. Yeah, definitely. It was more social at some in some aspects than religious. Yeah. 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 And I still... To this day, I've got a master's in theology. So I still to this day believe the magic of going to church is social. Yeah. Not religious. No. No, no, no. So, it's, it's all about the people you're around. Yeah. And that's, I believe that's by design. So, but in, in looking at it over time, I think because the nature of organized religion has moved further and further from that being central the the relationships and the interaction being central for the people that are coming and some other thing whether it be the the i mean there's so many things that make fun of mega churches <laughs> i mean it's 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 obnoxious it's very but, gosh but, if you have not what's that show we talked about before righteous gemstones oh yeah amazing it's brilliant it's genius yeah Watch it. so there's so many ways that it has moved away from its social value. Mm -hmm. And then I think for some, and I think this has been in a sharp decline for a while, but there's no economic benefit. No, I don't think there's, has there ever been? Yeah. What's the, been the economic benefit of going to church? <laughs> well, we, well, we, we don't. So historically, church was an amazing place of economic resourcing and support and care and well, you know, historically. But how? That, well, Jesus will flip the tables if you're telling me that there's money being exchanged at the church. But I will say, I do remember when the recession happened, my church, my church, part of the collections they receive goes to an emergency fund. Yeah. And then w when the recession hit, uh, there were families who took advantage of that. And like the, the church gave money to families of the church to yeah. help them out. Historically, the church has been, and when I say historically, I mean for 2000 years, <laughs> the, the, the church has been, has been a focal point of social help. So in terms of, I mean, it's in, it's in the main mandate of care for the widow and the orphan and the poor. I like, mean, you could also say it's been the cause of a lot of social strife, but, well, that's, but I see what you're getting at. That's your side of the table, <laughs> not mine. So the, but historically hospitals. There's a lot of, there's a lot of religious hospitals. Yeah, they were so religious organizations, churches, and things were the ones that created hospitals, orphanages. Yes, religious for better or worse. Yes, poverty has always been a thing. So, like you look at the Black Plague that happened in Europe. I'm, I'm looking at it. Yeah, 
So the Black Plague happened in Europe, and when you study history, you find that everyone was bailing because they didn't want the plague. Of course, naturally. You know who was going in to help? The religious folk. The religious folks. And that's why they're suckers. <laughs> it could be. It could. It could be. But in in terms of like social and economic viability and social and economic help. If you as a social organization do not provide social and economic, both of them, you can't just provide one. You have to provide well, both. Well, I think, again, so... You will draw the masses. Well, this is a good point because I do think that religious organizations are not drawing the social benefits anymore either. Yeah, and they're not drawing the economic. No, they're not drawing either. And, now, and nowadays, they are not because socially people don't... The, the, there's organized religion is not doing themselves any favors. <laughs> they're not. They're just not because they're not understanding the common person. They're still thinking about themselves in terms of a thousand years ago. And, and we've progressed as a society. Yeah. And this is my personal take. Do not, this is my personal take. And, and they just are not doing themselves anything favorably. And and for in in a lot of different ways. Yep. Now there are, there's going to be people who don't like that. There's going to be people who do understand that. But either way, it's true. Either way, it's true. And you do have to accept the fact that that is true. If there were social and economic benefit for you going, would you? Yeah, of course. If there was a social and economic benefit for me going to mass, of yeah. course I'd be going. But there's neither. There is, there is neither a social nor my, my father, who is a deacon would love for me to be going to mass every Sunday, but I don't because I don't feel called to it. I just don't. I have tried. Yeah. I really have in my adult age, I've tried going to mass. I've tried going to mass in different mindsets to see if this mindset works, if this mindset works, if this mindset works and it just doesn't. And yep. it's because I do not feel a social benefit to it. Yeah. Or an economical. Or an economical. And I think that's I think that's one of the things that this book brings out is that I think broadly in our culture we're losing both. Yeah. We're losing social benefit well, there's, there's, from everybody, from everything. 100%. And we're losing economic benefit. There's one there's one chart that I also really like. This is about the educational requirements for jobs. Oh yeah. And how a college a bachelor's degree has essentially become mandatory mm -hmm. for a job it yeah. is no longer it, it, it is a forced expense to go yeah. to college it truly is the 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 way it's grown is astounding it went from 73 to nine percent to 2020 24 percent of of necessity, yeah. It's it's really uh, in in the amount of like trade schools have gone down, but but that's why there's a big push for trade schools now because people are now yep. realizing how much money they can make because you can make a lot of money in a trade if you're passionate about it or not passionate. Or you can still I mean, you can still wire a house and get I, paid a lot of money. Ideally, it's your sole yep. purpose and it's your vocation, yep, exactly, and, and that's why you do it. But anyway, this we've only touched on a like a very small amount of. If it's, it's, it's we're at like what five percent of the of the charts that are in there. I think we've talked about about five. So yeah, yeah. that would make it five percent. 
Because so, uh, there's a hundred charts, so the math is easy. So, but it's so adrift by Scott Galloway. It is a very eye-opening book. Check it out at your local library or wherever books are sold. Yeah, pick it up. <laughs>